Welcome, everybody, to a Thursday night edition of Texans All Access. And I know I'm usually not the voice you hear, but the man next to me is usually the voice you hear. I'm John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. Mark is out of town. I, I've said this, John McClain, he's out of the country because he's out of the state of Texas. So am I on point with that? He's out think, of the country? I think you're definitely on point with that, John. It's a pleasure to be on with you. I'm sorry Mark's gone, but I always like coming on with you too. Well, I appreciate you coming on, John. Thank you very much. First of all, preseason schedule is out. At Green Bay, home Detroit, at Dallas, home to the L.A. Rams. I'm glad I didn't say St. Louis because I keep saying that. Preseason schedule, what do you think of that planet? All NFC schedule, two NFC North teams practicing against the Green Bay Packers. First gut reaction all that, John, what do you like? I love going to Green Bay, love going to the Cathedral, and being able to spend a few days there when it's not snowing or freezing. That's the first thing I noticed. I think it's tremendous. And then the Rams game doesn't mean squat. We'll be seeing all the backups. But the Cowboys, you know, usually the Cowboys are the last game and you see all the backups. But in this one, it's the key game, the third one. And uh, Detroit, with Matt Patricia coming in here, wouldn't surprise me if they don't end up having some uh, joint practices Practices, with them because Patricia likes to do it. And he was here. He was in uh, West Virginia two years ago when the Patriots came up there and practiced before their games. And you know how much Bill O'Brien loves joint practices. Yeah, he does. And I would imagine – the the Patriots tree that now extends to Brian Flores down in Miami to Vrabel in Tennessee to Patricia in Detroit, it feels like those practices are very, very important. I've, I've thought, John, after watching those practices for a number of years, that that would be a concession at some point, that maybe they give up one preseason game and they do more practices. It just feels like there's more onus put on those than there are the preseason games. You think they're going to give up a preseason game not. in which they pay, I know they're not. fans pay 70 70- sell tickets for 71000 No. The owners are never giving up those preseason games unless they end up taking two more regular season games. Coaches say that if they ever did go to the 18-game schedule, which would be ridiculous if they're really and truly worthy about health, then you would have to have more mini camps. You would have to have time in the offseason and training camp to make up for the two preseason games that only coaches could love. And uh, I like I like joint practices. I love watching J.J. Watt go up against offensive linemen. Watt and Clowney and Merciless and those guys like watching the corners. And my favorite all time was the one in Washington because there were so many <laughs> fights they had to cut it short. And That's I thought right. that was fun. Plus, it was cool, nice, cool weather, which we don't get yeah. in August. So, But I don't think they're going to be doing any – joint practices with the Redskins anytime soon. No, I don't think so, but you're right. That day, if you remember this, John, that was a Saturday, and ESPN was out there, and they captured everything, not to mention Hard Knocks cameras were out there, but it was pouring down rain at certain points, and I remember being over in the far corner of that stadium, and they had that new facility at Bon Secours uh, in Richmond uh, where I had taken the CPA exam, literally down the street from there. Is that right? And there used to be nothing there. Wow. And so they built that facility, and I remember being in the far corner, and I'm just freezing. And then all of a sudden, we see Kenny Hilliard and the fight on one field, and that spills into the other field, and now you got two fields coming together. That was the craziest thing I'd ever seen. We do know about practices with Green Bay. I am assuming, like you, that we do have practices here against Detroit. But it's the Green Bay part of it that got me, John, because – I, I grew up there. I went to Lambeau Field. How often have you been up to Green Bay to see games up there or covered games up there? And why, for those people that haven't been up there, why is it so special to go up there? You call it the cathedral. Why Why is it thought of that way? 
Green Bay is the Mecca. Lambeau Field is the cathedral because it's Green Bay, because the franchise was founded in 20 or 21. And there's so much history there. Curly Lambeau Stadium's named after him. You know, they have a waiting list of like 80,000. Yeah. When your child is born, they get on the <laughs> season ticket waiting list. They have that great training camp tradition in which kids give the players their bicycles, these big old 300-pounders on these little bikes going across the parking lot to the field while the kids carry their pads and helmets. And and if you're going to go anywhere where there's going to be a sellout crowd and so much excitement and enthusiasm for joint practices, yeah. it's in Green Bay because they eat, sleep, and drink the Packers. Mike Sherman told me after he was fired up there that it bothered him at first that everybody, fans, media, he said they want to know what the head coach eats for breakfast. I said, why didn't you just tell them? And and after a while, he got used to it and said, man, do I miss it. That is the greatest head coaching job you could have in sports. Matt LaFleur takes over that job uh, before I get there. It's returning to the scene of the crime. You remember what happened in the NFL in 1982, player strike. Right? Remember I was, that? I covered it. I was in the state championship pump, pass, and kick competition in the state of Wisconsin, coming out of Little Marinette, Wisconsin. And they did it on the practice fields because they were had the work stoppage because they had the strike. So I was mad about that. Went to go do the uh, pump, pass, and kick. Had the thing won, John, and I threw a Brock Osweiler duck and lost. Is that right? I'm wow. returning to the scene of the crime for the first time. Now, we were in Lambeau in 2016, but <laughs> I'm returning to the practice field where that happened, and I don't, I don't know exactly uh, how I'm going to feel about that. But Matt LaFleur takes over that job. Hang on one second. I get My first time there was 1980. Yeah. Uh, the Oilers were in their third consecutive year's Super Bowl contender, and uh, they had a rookie, John Corker, who missed the – buzzed to the airport, and they found him hitchhiking out on 59, <laughs> and he had a girl with him. Okay. And he gets on the bus, and Bum Phillips said, you can't bring somebody on there. So he pushed her out, and she fell on her butt <laughs> on the side of the road, and he got on, and we drove away with her sitting on the side of the road. And he wasn't supposed to play. They needed a kicker because Tony Fritz, their kicker, was too hungover to make the trip so they figured okay chester marco retired we'll sign him when we get there they got there it turned out chester had the same problem so their special teams captain and backup linebacker ted thompson had to kick extra points and field goals and john corker the guy that wasn't supposed to play returned to fumble for the winning touchdown earl campbell rushed for 200 yards and they left with a victory at lambeau field and uh, it was one of the wildest trips I've ever seen. Who knew that Ted Thompson would end up being a general manager yeah. who will be inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame on May 4th. What do you make of all this as you talk about Ted Thompson? Got me thinking, what do you make about all this? Aaron Rodgers, Mike McCarthy, even Ted Thompson getting thrown in the mix and all of that that's gone on with Tyler Dunn, the article you wrote for Bleacher Report, from two angles. Number one, how do you look at it from a Packers standpoint? And number two, I've seen some people that have gone after Ty about his reporting in that story. I mean, you reported on stories for a long time. I know that's got to be a tricky spot to be in, but what did you kind of think about that whole situation? Well, I've never used anonymous quotes for to rip people. I've told, I used to have Oiler players would come up and say, hey, I want you to write this about somebody. I say, you're going to let me use your name? Well, of course not. I said, well, I'm not going to do it because I did it one time. 
Mark Stepnoski, the center, ripped off the record to quarterback Chris Chandler and said that Steve McNair, the rookie, should be playing. And I ran it, and Chandler said I made it up because if I hadn't, I would have used the quote of the player on the record. So he ripped me. He didn't rip my anonymous source. Right. And I've never seen this. Stepnoski came out and said, that was me. I said it. And Chandler goes, oh, <laughs> well, I guess you can take a snap from somebody whether he wants you to be the starter or not. And uh, I think uh, Tyler Dunn is a great reporter. He used to cover them yeah. for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel before he went to the Buffalo News and then Bleacher Report. That's the second big expose of Aaron Rodgers. The first one is about his estrangement from his family and how he was to blame for that. Obviously, Rodgers hates him. That's why he went on the offensive. And especially, right. I thought it was class things that Rodgers said about Mike McCarthy. And whether he meant it or not, it was good. Yeah. You know, Mike's got a street named after him. Uh, Mike Holmgren won one Super Bowl just like uh, that he did. And so he's still living there, as Rodgers pointed out. He told people they should appreciate everything he did. Shake his hand when you see him and thank him for what he's done. And, and uh, the good thing, the guy that's going to benefit from this is Matt LaFleur. Instead of having a quarterback who's going to try to run rough shot over him, right. Rodgers going to be on his best behavior. Yep. He's going to go in there. He's going to do everything right to prove Tyler Dunn and those players like Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings and uh, Ryan Grant, is that who it was, and all those anonymous people to try to prove them wrong. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's watching it from afar and having grown up in, in uh, Wisconsin before I moved here to Houston – it just never felt like that was something that would ever happen in Green Bay. Like, reading that story, I kept having to tell myself, Green Bay. We're, we're talking about Green Bay here. You know, you mentioned it, the cathedral. I mean, where you go. I mean, this is – it's the – one of the oldest franchises. We'll play on Thursday night against the Bears because it is one of the oldest franchises. This just doesn't happen in Green Bay. And yet, it just goes to show it happens everywhere. And Tyler Dun- – whether it happened or not, it just feels like there's too much smoke for there not to be any fire in that. But it's like – this just doesn't happen in Green Bay. This happens in other places. This happens in Oakland. This happens otherwhere, other places. It doesn't happen in Green Bay, and yet we saw it in Pittsburgh. We've seen it in Green Bay. We've seen it in places you just don't think it's supposed to happen, but it has this offseason. And as you know, Packer fans don't give a rat. You know what? They're going to be behind Aaron Rodgers 100% when the season starts. And you said something pretty interesting. There are only three men that have Super Bowl championships as Packer coaches. Vince Lombardi's got two. Uh, Mike Horman's got one. Mike McCarthy's got one. It's pretty amazing to think about from that that perspective. But Matt LaFleur himself, he gets the job. I don't know if you and I have talked about this. What would you think about that? He was once here as an offensive assistant, which didn't seem like all that long ago, and now he's running that organization as the head coach. What do you think about the job that he'll do? He was here two years under Gary Kubiak, and then he was with Kyle Shanahan in Washington, and then he went with uh, – uh, with Sean McVay to the Rams, and then, of course, he went to Tennessee. And I'm thinking the Packers didn't look at his call against the Texans this past season when he handed the ball to an up-back who was a tight end who'd never carried the ball and got stuffed. And I'm thinking they didn't look at his call in London, a two-point conversion to beat the Chargers, and it was a throw to the back of the end zone that was overthrown. And I was kind of surprised. I would have thought to work with Rodgers and a quarterback of his stature, yeah. knowing he's a difficult personality when it comes to football because he, he wants to be in charge, and he is in charge because he's earned 
you know, he's earned that right that they would have had a veteran coach and not somebody kind of likes throwing the sheep to the wolves. And, uh, Matt, you know, this is a big chance. It's his third team in three years, and I hope it works out for him. He's a good guy. He's got a Hall of Fame quarterback. It's amazing, isn't it? You mentioned those three coaches from the Packers who've won Super Bowls. What do they have in common? History will show they all had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. That's true. Bart Starr, Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers. We will have more with the General John McClain on the other side of this break. We're going to talk about his mock draft. I think he's on version 45, maybe 50. It seems like they've been doing mock drafts, Ian Aaron Wilson, for at least, I mean, eight months. I mean, probably the middle of the season. But, man, people read those mock drafts. The clicks that mock drafts get, it doesn't matter who's doing them. I was listening to NFL radio earlier today, and I heard Tim Legler come on. NBA, one of the best NBA analysts, but he's a huge Redskins fan. He's like, I'm going to do a mock draft. I thought, wow, we've really gotten uh, to the mock draft saturation point. But the general's going to stay with me. We're going to talk about that mock draft. And then later in the show, we're going to have a good buddy of mine uh, stop by. I didn't really stop by. I called him from Buffalo. His name's Sal Capaccio. He's the sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills. About three or four years ago at the Combine, we had our our radio row table just outside of the West Club. That's where it was at the time. And there were only about about eight to ten teams there, radio-wise. And right next to us was the Bills radio crew. And at some point, Sal came over and we started talking. Because in 2014, he was on my sideline because their reception in NRG Stadium for his wireless mic was not great. So he's on our sideline, looked over during the game and went, yo, we about the beef here. And he was really cool. And so we kind of brought that up, and we talked, and we, we must have talked for a couple hours. Found out we both coached high school football in Florida. Kind of followed a, a similar path to media, if you will, and just have had a blast over the years getting to know him. He's a great dude, and we're going to talk a little Buffalo Bills. We're going to talk about the AFC, talk about the AFC East, talk about Gronk, talk about the Patriots, how the AFC has changed. So you got plenty tonight, but we got more at the general next. We'll talk about his mock draft and what to expect Draft the weekend for your Texans next right here at Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Thursday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, and I've got with me the general, John McClain. So, John, I want to transition into your mock draft. What version are you on now? Like 35? 10, and I've only got two oh. left. Aaron Wilson and I, we just recorded a podcast going over uh, what's going on in the NFL and then what our picks are this week. And I feel strongly, John, that if the tackles are gone, they'll take a corner. Mm -hmm. I don't see both of them being gone. I could see Brian Gain trading back a little bit to try to pick up at least a four. They went to Denver for Demarius Thomas. Do not see Brian giving up a pick to move up because there's not a great offensive tackle. There is not a great cornerback. They may turn out to be great, but right now the evaluations, none are great. I'd love to see Andre Dillard fall into their laps at 23, but it's not going to happen. He's the best pure left tackle. He's the only pure left tackle that's available in the first round, and I'd like to see him get Greedy Williams or Byron Murphy and DeAndre Baker. I've had each of them going in my mock draft, but I feel strongly it wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't think it'll happen, but if of their first four picks, if it were two tackles and two corners, I don't think it'll happen. But I think they need a tackle, and they, they need more 
corners because they're playing some great quarterbacks and great wide receivers. Well, the way I've looked at it, John, I mean, we saw it twice in this building, and we've seen it before that in this building, too. It didn't have to be just in this building. It happened in Indianapolis, too. We would find somebody to cover T.Y. Hilton, or it's not going to – I mean, it it doesn't matter who else you have protecting Deshaun Watson. If you're not covering T.Y. Hilton any better than you have the last couple of times you've played him, forget it. And so – I've been with you. The one thing that I've heard, John, and I, I'm going to get your thought, because I'm sure with your chat that you, you've done with the Chronicle, you've been asked this question, or you've had somebody say this to you, and I've had people say it to me, if the Texans don't draft an offensive tackle in the first round, the draft is a bust. It's over. And I, I cringe every time I hear that, because it, are you going to draft the sixth or seventh tackle just because he's the sixth or seventh tackle, but meanwhile the number one corner that you have on your board is right there? It's not as if you have one hole in this team. You've got a couple of them that you've got to try and fill. So when I saw that you had Byron Murphy there, I thought you'd be of the same mindset. But have you been asked that question? And what do you think about most fans that feel that way, that you have to go offensive tackle, and if you don't, it's draft is a, is a bust? I would say, John, with all due respect, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You would never take your sixth or seventh tackle over your first, second, or third corner. Brian Gain is going to take the position that they have rated the highest. And right now, I have a run on tackles because who's going to block all these front seven guys in the best draft in history for front seven prospects? you got to get tackles to block them. The problem is there's no left tackle other than Andre Dillard. You know, Juwan Taylor's a right tackle. Cody Ford, right tackle, might be a guard. Dalton Reisner, right tackle, might be a guard. Jonah Williams, right tackle, and might be a guard, although if he fell to here, they would have to play him at left tackle. Yep. But they have got to be able to cover. The top three corners are Jay Joe's going to be 35, Bradley Roby, inconsistent with Denver last year, Aaron Colvin, a disappointment with the Texans. They got to get more players, more talent, more speed, more competition, because that's what Bill O'Brien likes. Competition brings out the best, and you you can never have enough corners. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you, especially the teams that you're going to have to beat to win, just to win the AFC. But say you got to win the AFC South, you got to stop T. Y. Hilton. To win the AFC, you better find a way to stop New England's receivers and its passing game and Kansas City's. You're going to face the Chargers. You're going to face big receivers and Mike Williams. Um, and Keenan, what, and Allen. Keenan Allen. You're going to so, play New Orleans. You're going to have Michael Thomas. You're going to fight Mike Evans of Tampa. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Julio Jones this year. They better get some corners. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because the guys that we mentioned, they are all they run the gamut from Tyreek Hill and T.Y. Hilton, not real big guys, but beat you with speed. The guys you just mentioned, Evans, uh, Mike Thomas, big physical guys. So they run the gamut of the guys you're going to face. And maybe you don't find one guy that can cover all of them, but you better find somebody that can at least be in the ballpark. Aaron Aaron Wilson uh, mocked Cody Ford from Oklahoma, and he's got OT mentioned next to his name. And I, I love Cody Ford, and I think Cody Ford's a heck of a football player. And I do think that Cody Ford is going to end up one day playing guard. I just don't know that at 23 – that I'm going to take Cody Ford instead of drafting a corner because both of you, I think, have Greedy Williams off the board. Did you have Greedy go on before that? Yeah, Where did you have gone. Greedy going? 
I had him gone. Yeah, you had him going to Carolina. Last week I had Greedy there, and they took him. Another thing about the wide receivers, they better play Kansas City early. Yeah, because maybe Tyreek Hill will be suspended. Yeah, because if he's not and he's back, that's another guy that's got to be covered. I can't remember a season which Texans would play against tougher receivers and quarterbacks from start to finish. And uh, Byron Murphy ran in the mid four fives. That's not good. But they say he can turn, he can cover, he's tough, he's smart, he's instinctive, he can backpedal, he stays down, and he's a good tackler. DeAndre Baker from Georgia. I'm just guessing because I think I would love to see him of a corner get Grady Williams, 6'2", ran into four threes, and even though he's a third-year sophomore and has a lot to learn, I still believe he's the best corner. But corners – uh, I think it was Dane Brugler said this. If there is a corner who doesn't go in the top 25, it'd be first time since 1974. Yep. And that was even before I started covering the NFL. So I don't think Greedy Williams will be there. But if one of those others is great, and it wouldn't bother me at all if Brian Gain didn't take two tackles and two corners in the first, second, and third round. I'm. I am not opposed to that whatsoever, John. I've said that. I wouldn't mind if they doubled up on a position, be a tackle, be a corner. I would, just like you said, I wouldn't mind if they did that. Uh, how do you think? Uh, how do you think the Dre Howe retirement changes priority, or does it? Do you think it they, changes at all? Do you think they, safety moves? The way I look at it, John, I kind of split it up. You got your day one, day two, those four picks, and then you've got whatever you've got in day three. I look at those four, and I'm with you. I wouldn't be surprised if they double up on both positions, but I think they double up on one of the positions. Then they draft the other one, so it's maybe two corners and a tackle or two tackles and a corner, but then it's that fourth one. And I thought, okay, maybe they go at corner a different way. Maybe they find a guy that can be kind of your nickel and can play corner. Maybe he's not a prototypical corner, but maybe he can play the nickel because how much time time are they playing nickel? I mean, how many times do we see Kareem Jackson out there playing the inside slot? So maybe that's what they find with that fourth pick who then can maybe play some safety to replace Dre Howe. Do you think it becomes a priority on draft day that they go after a safety early with one of those four picks? Or do you think that it's behind in the priority? I think uh, after the draft, they're going to sign a couple more veteran free agents. There's going to be another run on them. Yep. There's a lot of them out there. There's safeties out there. Right now, if they had to play uh, Brian Body Calhoun, I think would be the third safety. He was yep. a dime safety in Cleveland at the end of the season. He was a slot corner before that. You know, he's nothing special, but he's versatile. Yeah, I, I like think him. that they if can you imagine in the and this is a deep draft for safeties and corners and and they've got to have a third safety. Can you imagine in the third round if Brian Gain could get his lucky in the third round this year oh, as he gosh. got last year when it comes to a safety? Oh. Justin Reed playing like a first-rounder. So it wouldn't surprise me if I had to go away from corners and tackles if the third-round pick was not a safety because you're getting very good value there. Let me ask you, okay, not a tackle, not a corner, and not a safety. In Among those first four picks, what would be a surprise position for you of need, not not something like quarterback or tight end? I don't know if I would say surprise, but – I, I've said all along, I think, some sort of offensive weapon, mainly a running back. I mean, I need a third running back. And I think there are some I think there are some running backs. I think the value for running backs is really from the second round to yes, about the fifth round. And I think that's where you can you can get a really good back. Like you can get a guy like Travion Williams with pick number 86, you know, third round, who wouldn't right away be your third three-down back. He could be your third-down back. 
but he's really good in pass protection. That's But there are a ton of running backs, I think, that you could pick from that I think could come in and help this team right away. And then you got to hope that Lamar Miller, Deontay Foreman are healthy, and then the third running back comes in. He helps you on special teams, but he gives you something a little bit different than maybe what the other two do. And I think you've got a lot of opportunities there. So I don't know if I would be surprised by that, but I think that would be one way I would go. How about you? I wrote a thing for Texas Sports Nation on Tuesday about Bill O'Brien saying he'd like to throw the ball to the running backs more. Yeah, I saw that, yeah. The problem is when Lamar Miller has to stay in and help pass protect, he can't get out on the routes. He caught more passes his last two years in Miami than he has in his first three years here. And last in 2017, he had three touchdown catches. He can catch, but he can block. And Foreman is a better receiver than I thought he'd be. And he's a willing blocker, but they have to have a third back. I I think that that third back, ideally, would be a good receiver who you could shift out into the slot. Yep. Maybe you line him up wide, and he forces the defense to worry about him because they didn't have to worry about Alfred Blue as a receiver. They got everything they could get out of Alfred, and everybody wishes him the best of luck with the Jaguars, but – they got to have somebody who can run and catch and run after the catch. And I think that would be more important than a fourth receiver yep. because in an ideal world, Will Fuller and Kiki QT stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And with DeAndre Hopkins, they could have one of the most prolific passing games in the NFL. But um, it's hard. It's, you, I just don't see them using that position over a back. They don't have a third back. Right. They got three receivers. Vincent Smith maybe is the fourth receiver. And another thing in free agency, if they don't get it, I could see them uh, reaching out and signing a veteran. They still have Jester Weah from last year, mm-hmm. along with Vincent Smith. So they have some possibilities. But really, on the roster, I don't think they have the kind of third running back they want. That and an inside pass rusher, which is – Everybody wants an inside of pass course. rusher. They're not it, 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 but there's been a lot of good ones go later. So I could say I'm going to say it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't take an inside pass rusher because there's a lot of them. Yep. Not a sure thing, but good value on them as well. And I think that Brian Gaines going to try hard to get his fourth round pick back. Yeah, I, I said the same thing yesterday. I think exactly that same thing. I think he's going to do whatever he can to get that back to have more at bats. John, what do you got coming up in the Chronicle? We've got a mock draft 10 on Texas Sports Nation. Aaron Wilson and I have started Texan series going over every position. Then we start our NFL draft series and stories next week. And uh, in all, we'll have 12 mock drafts. I've got on the Texans that I did Sunday. Got another one coming up this Sunday. John, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it as always. The General John McClain. Follow him on Twitter at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. If you're listening to this show, you probably follow John. But that's where you can get all of John's great work. Check it out at Texas Sports Nation, at Chronicle, and obviously here each and every Thursday. Now, as I said earlier, coming up next, good buddy of mine, Sal Capaccio, Buffalo Bills sideline reporter. We're going to talk a little Josh Allen, talk a little Rob Gronkowski, talk a little bit more about the AFC in total. How does Sal feel about the hottest thing since sliced bread, the Cleveland Browns? Here's a hint. He feels a little bit like I do. Talk to Sal next right here at Texas All Access. Welcome back to a Thursday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris. No Mark Vandermeer tonight. He is still out of the country. And by out of the country, I mean he's in Denver. So he's out of the country of Texas. But nice enough to join me is a guy who's become a good friend of mine. He is a sideline reporter for the Buffalo Bills, and he is absolutely fantastic. 
We've shared a lot of time at the Combine. And uh, time last year when the Buffalo Bills were here, really respect his work. It's my man, Sal Capaccio. Sal, how you doing, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. Just waiting for the weather to warm up a little bit more so I can get out and finally play some golf up here in Buffalo. Do Sal, I don't even want to tell you what it was yesterday here in Houston. Uh, I'm afraid to know. It's got to be in the mid-80s, right? Yeah. It, well, my, my car registered 94 at one point. And Whoa. yeah, so it's it's pretty salt. It's it's turned. It was cold here for a long time, and people are like, "Oh, we need we need regular Houston weather." And yeah, Houston weather's about to t- Mother Nature's about to turn up on us. There's no question Careful about what that. You wish for, I guess, right? Yeah, you you know how that goes. Uh, you lived in Florida for a while, so you know how it is to kind of. You know, be very careful what you ask for. So I want <laughs> I want to talk about your squad. I was going through yesterday and doing. Uh, my mock draft, my first one uh, of the year. I just decided I'm going to only do one. And I got to number nine. I started looking at Buffalo. And I saw both Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean over at Ed Oliver's Pro Day and, and uh, at University of Houston, and I texted you about that and started looking at the roster and the changes they have made. What's your overall gut feeling about what the Bills have to do in this draft to take the next step? Well, look, they still have to add a little bit more to the offense. They've done a really nice job of trying to do that here in the free agency. Incredibly, John, the Bills have signed 17 free agents from other teams. That's incredible. It's unreal. It's un- I've looked at the roster. The whole offensive line is is brand new from Quinn Spain to Mitch Moore, Spencer Long, Tyron Ty in second. I mean, uh, John Feliciano, Adrian Waddell. I mean, it's unbelievable how many guys they've signed to fix the roster. Yeah, no doubt about it. They're going to have probably four new starting offensive linemen. The only one they'll have back is Deion Dawkins. And there is even some question if they go out and draft an offensive tackle in the first round. But I think Dawkins is safe. But they've done that. They even count, you know, they even went out and got Duke Williams, the wide receiver from the CFL, yeah. who was an Auburn player, to add to the hit roster as well to make 18. Then you add the receivers in John Brown, Cole Beasley. They've signed those guys. So they've done a great job of going out and getting help for Josh Allen. They could still do that. But I think what they've really done here. It set themselves up because this is such a deep draft for defensive players, especially in the front seven. I think they concentrated their free agent resources on the offensive side to help Josh Allen, which was sorely needed, where now they have some flexibility to really play around on the defensive side in the draft. And I think that's the next step. This team still needs help in the front seven. They have lost Kyle Williams, obviously, to retirement. A really nice signing bringing back Jordan Phillips to help out on the defensive line with Starla Tulele and Harrison Phillips, a second-year player. But... You have to think about the edges here. Shaq Lawson's going into his fourth year. They've got to make a decision on his fifth-year option for 2020, and he hasn't really lived up to the first-round expectations, so I don't know if you're going to do that or not. Jerry Hughes is 31 and going into the final year of his contract. Trent Murphy was signed to big dollars last year. He was in and out of the lineup with health issues. So I think they really have to upgrade and look for a pass rusher and go edge or D-line, and a guy like Ed Oliver would be a good fit. Yeah, I texted you, and I asked you what you would think about that, and the immediate thought was, Look, Kyle Williams retired, and I know you don't always have a one-for-one swap, but you know Kyle Williams was such a fantastic player. I mean, obviously, we saw that in Houston in the game that he had against us. I mean, he was phenomenal in his final year. I mean, he just destroyed us. And, and look, a lot of defensive lines did that to our guys up front, uh, which was unfortunate. But with Kyle Williams out, I started looking at the roster, and I thought, okay, Harrison Phillips is a guy you know from Stanford that I really like, you know, St- Starla Tule. Uh, was kind of in and out of the lineup in the game that we had here. And so Ed Oliver made a lot of sense. But, Sal, I went with TJ Hawkinson. And I just – what hit me was was Rob Gronkowski. And, look, I know nobody's going to be Gronk. But, you know, Gronk was from Buffalo. And you guys had to watch a, 
a, you know, a guy from a native of Buffalo play for the Patriots and do the damage that Gronk did. And Hawkinson's about as close as you could possibly get. And I know you talked about offensively all the additions that they've made. And they added Tyler Croft at tight end. But Hawkinson's a different dude. What do you think of Hawkinson as a potential pick to Buffalo? Is it too early for a tight end? Is that something Josh Allen could use? How do you feel about that position in particular? It's funny. This is my wheelhouse today because I just wrote an article about this at WGR550.com, our website, and it says it's number nine too high for the Bills to take a tight end because this is a great debate here in Buffalo because they do need a tight end. And ever since the season ended, we all knew they were going to be in the market for one, especially after they released Charles Clay. That left only Jason Kroom on the roster, who's a converted wide receiver. Then they went out and they signed Tyler Cross, who's a nice player. He's a He's kind of a mix of a blocker and a mm-hmm. pass catcher, red zone target. They signed Jake Fisher, who's a converted offensive lineman. He'll be the blocking tight end. They have to get that pass catcher. We all know how important it is. And Sean McDermott said at the Combine, going back to his days in Philly, when he had Donovan McNabb, he realized the importance of a tight end like Chad Lewis was yeah. for Donovan McNabb at that point. So here's the thing, though. So I did the research yesterday, and I looked. I, I love the idea of it, John. I do. In fact, I did a mock draft, one of these things where someone calls me and says, hey, you're on the clock, and they're doing it from another city. Yeah. And I took Hawkinson in one of these things because I love the idea of it. Even fan, I love the idea. But in practicality and execution of it, the fact is most of the best tight ends over the last 10, 15 years, they're not drafted even in the first round, let alone the top 10. Yep. The last one to go in the top 10 really was Vernon Davis in 2006, who's had a nice career, but it's littered with guys who – aren't really the best tight ends in the league. The best tight ends were Rob Gronkowski, second round. Jason Witten, third round. Travis Kelsey, what, third round I think it was. Antonio Gates, undrafted. This is such a position where so many guys are doing it at a younger age and really developing into that great special athlete that I think you can get one later. So I'm not against TJ Hawkinson. I, I love the idea of it. I just wonder about the positional value these days of a tight end that high. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. When you start thinking, and I look at the rest of my mock draft, and it's it's edge edge players, interior disruptors, quarterbacks. I don't even have a left tackle. I mean, I thought about I thought about putting a left tackle for you guys, but I I like Dawkins, and I think Dawkins can move over to the right side if you got a bona fide left tackle. But I just kind of started thinking, man, maybe Andre Dillard from Washington State's a little bit high. But this all kind of goes back to, and as you were saying. Those those tight end names, I found it interesting because in my mind I was like, okay, well Gronk had Brady, and you know Vernon, uh, not Vernon Davis, but uh, Gates had Philip Rivers. You know they had Hall of Fame quarterbacks to step in there with. Josh Allen's going into his second year. Sal, what are the expectations for him going forward, coming out of what was a pretty good second half of the year for him? He really showed some progress in playmaking, but what's got to take place in the second year, Sal? For Josh to get to a point where Buffalo feels like, okay, we're in this thing. We're going to be a perennial contender in the AFC. Well, look, I, I think of all the additions they made, you talk, I talked about all the receiving additions. Even if they were to draft a tight end or a wide receiver early, of all the offensive line help, the one thing that's really going to benefit Josh Allen more than anything is he's the man starting next Monday when they report to camp for the first time. I mean, the offseason workouts. Remember last year, mm-hmm. John, he wasn't even number two. Really, he was number three for most of – OTAs, mini camp, training camp. He got a third of the reps. He got mostly third team reps. Then he snuck into the second team and had some first team along the way. Now, don't have to worry about that. They had AJ McCarron and Nathan Peterman battling. Now it's Josh Allen, and then it's the other two guys, Derek Anderson and Matt Barkley. So that's the number one thing. He's going to have to become the guy, the leader, the consistent thrower of the football, which he was still 
had some issues with that last year. We all know coming out, his big polarization was he's not accurate enough. He's never going to be a 64, 65% completion percentage guy. Let me tell you something. That's right. He won't be. That's what you're sacrificing with Josh Allen. You have to know who the kid is. Josh Allen will never be Drew Brees. He'll never even be Baker Mayfield as far as completion percentage. But he makes a lot of great plays. It keeps your team in games, helps your team win games down the field. He's going to make those special plays that a lot of quarterbacks, frankly most quarterbacks, just can't make. And I just think he needs to be a little bit more consistent in the passing game, which hopefully will come because of all of those reps and the chemistry and what he's going to get being the the man and the first-team guy from the start of day one. Yeah, I can speak to that because we saw that with Deshaun. Even even last year and going through you know OTAs and not being able to do the teamwork, he was still out there to do one-on-ones and – be able to throw with no pressure and things like that, so he could do pass Skelly and all that. He was the he was clearly the man. Whereas the year before, coming as a rookie, he was sharing time with Tom Savage until it was clear that Deshaun needed to be the starter. So yeah, I think you're dead on with that, Sal. There's no question, Sal. As you watch the not only the AFC East but just the AFC change over the years or over this year, you see what Cleveland's done bringing in Odell Beckham Jr. You see Gronk retiring. Uh, with the Patriots, you see a guy like Trey Flowers go over to the NFC, who I know was a thorn in your side, probably a th- it was a thorn in our side too when we faced him. As you've seen the AFC change, and I still think there's one big domino in Kansas City that could fall if Tyreek Hill gets suspended, but how have you seen the AFC, in y'all's opinion, and people in Buffalo, as you guys talk about it, how do you see the AFC changing going into 2019, if at all? Well, I think that it's really all about the quarterbacks and the changing of the guard. The older guys, the newer guys that are coming up. Look at all the young, good quarterbacks in the AFC. And I'm going to throw Josh Allen in that mix. You know, going into his second year, Sam Darnold, of course. Yep. And of course, you got Deshaun out in Houston with you guys. You know, there's a lot of young quarterbacks that are starting to. Bur- Patrick Mahomes, of course, you can't forget about him. And then you have the older guards, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Philip Rivers. Those guys that are kind of on the back end of their career. And I think it's about when is that changing of the guard going to take place kind of en masse because we're seeing it here and there in bits and pieces and pockets. And, look, I I love the talent that Cleveland brought in. There's no doubt. And everybody's putting them at nine wins and AFC North favorites. Look, you got a head coach in Freddie Kitchens that went from position coach to coordinator to head coach in lightning speed. He's got a lot of egos to manage, right? I mean, he's going to have to – what if things go a little bit south the first few weeks? And I don't know. They get out of the gate two and four, and Odell is not happy about his targets. That's a lot for him to manage. So I'm not going to suddenly throw the, oh, my gosh, look at Cleveland. They're the AFC favorites tag on them. But I do like what they've done, of course. But it is about the quarterbacks. We don't know how much longer Tom Brady has to play. It's been 20 years we've dealt with him here in Buffalo. It's been He has more wins of anybody all time against another team here against the Bills. Of course, he did lose uh, Rob Gronkowski. And they have a lot of changes and challenges, I think, right now going in New England. So really the question is, which of these quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, really can kind of sneak up and be the next guy to take his team to challenge at least the New England Patriots? And then around the AFC, it's which other quarterback it is. Is it still Derek Carr with the position, the changes they made? We know what Patrick Mahomes can do. Deshaun Watson and what they can do in Houston. I think that's where you're going to really have to look at how the AFC has changed. Sal Capaccio, you can hear about WGR right there in Buffalo. You can see him and hear him from the Buffalo Bills sidelines. Good friend of mine, and you hear why. The guy can talk ball with the best of them. Sal, you're the best, man. I really appreciate your time, brother. Anytime. Anytime, brother. I thought about having Sal on. I've thought about it for a while, and I thought, you know, look, we're not in Houston. We don't cross over Buffalo all that much, but we did play him last year. And then I started thinking about guys that are just good in general, no matter what they're talking about. And that's Sal. Sal could talk about 
The oh my gosh, I forgot he's a huge Yankees fan. <gasps> oh, I missed a major opportunity to rub it in a little bit after the sweep by the Astros. Oh, I missed it. I can't believe it. Either way, Sal could talk about anything, and he would be great. And he's a great listen. But he knows the Bills inside and out, knows the NFL, knows the AFC. I thought it was interesting how we both felt about the Browns. I, I, I'm not ready to crown the Browns fait accompli like it's done. I think there are some question marks. I think Sal hit on them perfectly. So interesting spot there at number nine, though, talking about the tight ends. And, and I've, I've thought about because I like I told him, I gave them Hawkinson from Iowa because there's a significant need. That's the value of Hawkinson right there. I think, it's, I think he's a top ten player. But, yeah, I think you can get tight ends later in the draft. But we talked about that Oliver, and I think, I think the Sal would really like him. I think the defense would really like him. I think he's different than anybody that Buffalo has. Come on, wait a second. Ed Oliver's different than anybody in the NFL right now, to be honest. He really is. He is so different from anybody in the NFL. I mean, here's a guy that people have talked about, potentially being inside linebacker, outside linebacker, three technique, five technique, anywhere in the defense line. He might be the most rare guy that's come to the NFL from that perspective. So it'll be interesting to see where Ed goes. I actually, in my mock draft, have Ed going earlier. And that mock will be coming out either tomorrow or on Monday. I might just make all just content week next week. Because I think the Harris 100 is coming out very, very soon. I got that done. I've submitted that to my editors and my people. And the mock draft, hopefully, I'll keep cranking on. Those mock drafts, man, if you do it right, it takes a while. I got like 20 tabs open. I'm checking stats. I'm checking contract. It takes forever to do a mock draft if you're going to do it right. And I always write something with, um, I know some mock drafts will just put a name and then it'll move on. I try and explain why I go with that person, and it takes forever. So hopefully we'll get there. I've introduced one trade. I'm about halfway through. It's not the Texans, but it is for a quarterback. So that's what you can expect on draft night, which is two weeks away. That just dawned on me because I'm not usually on on Thursday. But two weeks from tonight, we will find out who the next member of the Houston Texans will be. Hopefully, unless the Texans trade out of the first round, which there's a possibility that could happen. If corners and tackles in particular are off the board and there's not a player higher on their board at 23, they could potentially trade out. And I wouldn't have a problem with that. I know people that come to the draft party will be like, well, we didn't get anybody. But we'll have a little draft party down at studio for it and you know, it'll be fun either way. But I don't know if I can unveil the draft show crew. You just know that I'm going to be on throughout. I'll be talking about all these draft picks. Um, hopefully, the Texans will be able to add starters, future Pro Bowlers, future Hall of Famers in this draft. It'll be fun to talk about them as they embark on their trip to the NFL. So, there you go. Big thanks to John McClain, to Sal Capaccio, silent reporter of the Buffalo Bills, to my guys back in studio uh, at Sports Radio 610. They keep me on the straight and narrow. To you guys for listening, we will be back tomorrow. Mark will be here, so Mark and I will have the show for you. So we'll talk about his trip to Denver. We'll talk about more draft needs as we get inside two weeks of the draft. And we will do all of that right here on Texans All Access on Friday night. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.